This is a crowd podcast. When I first heard about Wikipedia, I said, this is awful. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there putting what he believes are the facts in articles, the articles are going to be wrong all the time, not even counting the pranksters. You guys remember Brian, the brother, not the monk, the other one, the grammar guy. But I got to say, that didn't happen. Uh, I don't know why. To this day, I can't really explain how all these tens of thousands of people came together to uh, basically correct most of the errors. But mostly, you can rely on it. Brian's got a point. How the hell has this happened? We all know the line. I've definitely heard it before. Do not use Wikipedia. It's sketchy. At best, unreliable. At worst, full of lies. Even one of the co-founders has no time for it. I mean, how could Wikipedia not be corrupt at this point? But I remember when Elon Musk and Grimes had the baby in 2020 with that suggested password name entirely unpronounceable. So I had to go to Wikipedia to keep confirming what it was and how to pronounce it. It turns out uh, it's X-A-12. Ooh, just trips off the tongue. I don't know who's written that information on Wikipedia, what their motivations are. Um, Am I a complete dodo for trusting what I'm reading there? How has Wikipedia become the world's newspaper? And is anyone actually vetting what's written? You've got to remember, you know, anybody can edit Wikipedia. Or is it a chaotic free-for-all where lies take root and burst into seed in ways we can't even imagine? Have I ever been harassed online because I've been on Wikipedia? Yes. I'm Katie Puckrick, and I'm on a mission to understand this world of Wikipedia and the people behind it. This is .com, the Wikipedia story. Episode 4, Hoax. So I'm trying to get an idea of how reliable Wikipedia is. And I found a Wikipedia page called List of Hoaxes on Wikipedia. I'm flicking through it right now, and some of them are just hilarious. This one's my favorite. There was an article about a guy called Eduardo Carroccio, a tap dancer from New York in the 1890s. Sounds okay to me. But after a while, it caught the attention of a very eagle-eyed Wikipedian. Apparently, tap dance, quote, didn't originate as a style until 1928, end quote. The article was total fiction, and that single, tiny, wonderful detail gave it away. The article about Eduardo Carroccio's The Longest Standing Hoax on Wikipedia to Date. It lasted for 16 years and one month. I've come across so many other articles not on this list that I swear have to be a joke. Bisexual lighting, for example. What by all that is holy is bisexual lighting? Another one, electrical disruptions caused by squirrels. List of people who died on the toilet. Come on! Okay, maybe that toilet thing is plausible. The anti-PowerPoint party? And okay, get this. Buffalo, 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 buffalo is apparently a, quote, grammatically correct sentence, unquote, and for some reason has its own page. Are you joking with me? It's just a fantastically weird rabbit hole of weirdness. I'm now thinking about vandalism on the site, because there must be so many more Eduardo Carroccios out there that haven't been caught. I bet... Articles about the royal family get a lot of hinky-jinkiness. 
So I'm going on the article, Wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, and I've clicked on the View History tab at the top. I've gone back to the 19th of May, 2019, which is when Google tells me the wedding was, and it's just a sea of edits. Something's changing almost every minute. It doesn't take me long to find something. There's a user called Daniela Westbrook. On the day of the wedding, they kept changing the name of the article to Wedding of Prince Harry and Daniela Westbrook from EastEnders. Another editor keeps diligently changing it back, but Daniela's pretty persistent, and it's become a game of edit ping pong. Eventually, Daniela Westbrook is blocked. Now I'm going to make a wild guess that the actual Daniela Westbrook, the British actress, has nothing to do with this. It's just some random person looking for a laugh. This kind of vandalism is annoying for the other editors, but I guess it's pretty harmless. And then there are honest errors rather than outright vandalism. Errors that, oddly, can't be changed. You remember the wiki maxim? Everything you write has to be backed up by a secondary source. So you have to put a link to the CNN article or a YouTube video where you got that piece of information. But here's the funny thing. I've heard stories from people within the community about errors on their own pages that they can't do anything about. My name's Stephen Pruitt. You know Stephen, the world's number one Wikipedian. Stephen's article says he works for U.S. Customs and Border Protection, but that's not true anymore. He's got a new job. I'm a records manager in the records management office of the Defense Health Agency. It says the wrong job on your Wikipedia page, I'm told. And that's true, because I haven't done an interview of any sort formally since I changed jobs, which is now about uh, a year and a half ago and change. You can't, as an insider, a Wikipedia insider, you can't slip someone the nod and go, hey, buddy, time to upgrade the information. You have to wait for, say, this interview to come out? I could always dig somebody in the ribs with an elbow, as it were, but no, that's, that's poor etiquette to do that. So, in other words, somebody else updating your page could cite this interview with you saying your name, rank, serial number, and that would count as being legitimate? Um, I would certainly hope so. Maybe it's time to change it, eh, Wikipedians? Having the wrong job seems like an honest error caused by the community's own rules. Again, a little annoying for Stephen, and it does show that errors can exist on Wikipedia in plain sight, but at least nobody's dying because of it. But then there are downright lies that go undetected for years, ones that, unlike the one about Eduardo Carroccio, can cause real damage. You're about to hear a story about a lie, a dangerous one. It spread on Wikipedia and it almost ruined lives. The person telling it is a super prolific editor called Risker. My producer Anna and I have been waiting to talk to him for a few weeks. He's a pretty big deal in the community. Risker's an experienced Wikipedian who's been part of the movement for many years and has worked on articles around politics and breaking news, we're told in an email from the Wikimedia Foundation. In the weeks before I meet them, I've got this image in my head. They sound like another Jason. You remember the Capitol riots guy? Donald Trump's election was devastating. Or maybe another Dominic with the wiki baby. If I'm being overly particular about something, 
She'll say I'm being very Wikipedian. But when I finally meet Risker, not what I was expecting. My husband understands broadly what I do on Wikipedia. At all. At one point, he he jokingly said that this was a much healthier midlife crisis than buying a red sports car. This is Risker, or Anne. She's in her home in Canada when we speak, and she's got shortish gray hair and is wearing an eye-popping stripy shirt that looks like it's made out of silk. I I made my husband do his noisy stuff first thing in the morning so that he can... (laughs) She's sitting alone in a big, kind of old-fashioned living room. He's working down in the basement on his hobbies, so... (laughs) And she's a she. Unconscious bias, eh? I wasn't expecting that. Anyway, I was telling you about that lie. Here's a little bit of Wikipedia history. There is a fellow whose name is John Siegenthaler. John Siegenthaler probably had never done anything important enough to actually wind up in the, the encyclopedia. But somebody wrote an article about him. And then somebody put in there that he had something to do with the John Kennedy assassination. And it wasn't caught for a long time. It spread all over the internet very quickly and and was harmful to his personal reputation. And he had no idea where this was coming from. He eventually tracked it down to Wikipedia and he made complaints, understandably so. And we realized that that shouldn't be there. (laughs) This was back in 2005 and probably Wikipedia's most notorious case of misinformation. Just imagine that for a second. Ziegenthaler's a journalist. He'd worked for JFK's brother, who was also assassinated, so this lie could have legs. It actually changed the way that uh, we did many things. We did a lot of investigation. We talked about it an awful lot. And it became part of our culture to take biography articles extremely seriously. English Wikipedia gets about 255 million page views a day making it the fifth most visited website in the world. Ziegenthaler caught this one, but what about the lies that fester and spread with nobody noticing? They've got to be causing some serious damage. And that's a terrifying thought. I'm back with Anne Risker, and she's explaining something to me about how Wikipedia catches lies and vandals. Turns out, Wikipedia's got quite a strict hierarchy. I'm a user with an awful lot of permissions and user rights and lots and lots and lots of experience in all kinds of areas. I kind of assumed there wasn't one because everyone's a volunteer, so there's a horizontal structure, right? But I was wrong. There are these people called administrators. Being an administrator on Wikipedia has additional responsibilities and expectations over and above the average editor. The administrative group tend to specialize to some extent. So there are some who specialize in reviewing deletion discussions and then deleting articles or undeleting articles sometimes. There are some who specialize in dealing with vandalism and blocking editors. There are some who specialize in analyzing discussions. Okay, so there is a hierarchy. And actually, I do remember Jimmy telling me this in my conversation with him. And there definitely is a hierarchy. And that's really important to understand. Uh, There are administrators who are elected by the community. There's the various arbitration committees across all the different languages, which is like the Supreme Court uh, of each language version of Wikipedia. 
So there are about a thousand administrators on English Wikipedia with extra privileges, and they're the ones on the lookout for the fake Daniela Westbrooks and Ziegenthaler libelers of the world. You do something like that, and you are out. You're blocked. Anne's admin, but she's also a breaking news junkie. I want to know more about how that whole thing works, because breaking news must be a hotbed of misinformation. I was glued to the page about the Capitol riots. You remember that Jason worked on? On January 6, 2021, thousands of Donald Trump supporters gathered in Washington, D.C. to reject results of the November 2020 presidential election. And after my conversation with Jason about it, I became really intrigued by Wikipedia's role as a breaking news source. Because it's not a newsroom, it's an encyclopedia. So I asked Anne about it. Breaking news more or less falls into two categories. The first one is expected breaking news. A very recent example would be uh, the death of Prince Philip. He was 99 years old, so we knew he was old. Uh, There had been lots of hints that his health had taken a turn for the worse. So the article work was done beforehand so that the moment something happened and the hits started coming, the article was ready. Nobody makes the decision about who's going to do exactly what. They may say, okay, we have these 10 things to do, and somebody will put up their hand and say, oh, I'll do this one. And you know what? Joe over there is really good at that one. So, you know, if somebody felt that they needed to improve the section on his his childhood, it was done two weeks before. It was already publicly visible. And part of the reason for that is that we now know, after years of experience, that that article is going to be used by an awful lot of the news media and building their own articles and reports about an ongoing event. You know, we pull from the news media and from other sources when we're building an article, but they use us just as much. That's interesting. These guys aren't journalists, but in a way, they kind of are. And it sounds to me like they really know what they're doing. And as you know about breaking news, even the news sources are not necessarily tremendously reliable. So we have to keep constantly reviewing and reviewing and reviewing. We need to talk quickly about these things called wiki projects. I'm back talking to Jason again, the Capitol Riots guy, and he's telling me about wiki projects. A wiki project is essentially a space within Wikipedia where editors can collaborate and work together to create and improve content about a specific topic or maybe complete a type of task. I've heard of these before. You remember Women in Red? The mission of Women in Red, if you will, is to improve Wikipedia's content gender gap. There are loads of wiki projects on English Wikipedia, about 2,000 actually, and they've all got their own particular scope. Some are huge, like Wiki Project Biography, Wiki Project Africa, or Women in Red. Some of them Jason created himself. Wiki Project COVID-19, to Wiki Project Black Lives Matter, to Wiki Project Donald Trump, and I'll throw out there uh, Joe Biden, and I'll throw out there Hillary Clinton. And some are a bit smaller and kookier. Wiki Project RuPaul's Drag Race. So Wiki Projects are really important when something's breaking. 
When Prince Philip died, presumably members of Wiki Project British Royalty started talking to each other, or Wiki Project Biography. And with the Capitol riots, take your pick. Wiki Project Politics, Wiki Project Donald Trump, Wiki Project District of Columbia. These are the many communities within the Wiki world, and they all have their own niche. And when a story breaks that relates to them, their members will rise up and dig in. So, one second. Anne said there are two types of breaking news. What was the second one? I bet you've guessed. It's unexpected breaking news. Stories that come as a shock. It's the 4th of August, 2020. We're in Beirut, Lebanon. Almost exactly a year before Taliban fighters will take control of Kabul. Anyway, Beirut. Might be a bit difficult because I've got um, blisters on my fingers because I was gardening the other day, so I'll clap if that's okay. This is Andy, a.k.a. Pigs on the Wing. Cool name. He's been a Wikipedian since 2003, so almost since it started. I think I was looking at online news and saw it and then went and turned the television on because it was obviously a very big story. Andy's telling me about that day in August 2020 when an explosion at Beirut's port killed about 218 people, injured 7,000 more, and left an estimated 300,000 homeless. And almost instantly, an article called 2020 Beirut Port Explosion is created. On 4th of August 2020, a large amount of ammonium nitrate stored at the port of the city of Beirut. And I immediately fired up Wikipedia and found that somebody had started an article. In fact, if I remember correctly, two people had started articles under different titles. So one of the first things that somebody had to do was to merge one into the other and make sure that we were all working on the same page. So how did you deal with all that changing information coming at you? Did you understand what you were looking at? We knew very little at the start. We didn't know straight away that it was fertilizers that exploded in a grain house, or, sorry, ammonium nitrate or whatever it was. We didn't know uh, that it wasn't a deliberate attack. We didn't understand uh, the terrible consequences of the explosion, how many people had been injured and killed. So we were very much saying this is what's been reported rather than this is what's happened is considered one of the most powerful artificial non-nuclear explosions in history. I asked Andy if they had to deal with any vandalism on the entry, like Daniela Westbrook messing around on Harry and Meghan's page. You get people come in straight away and say, well, Israel are obviously behind this, or um, Hamas are obviously behind this, or whichever particular uh, group they wish to denigrate, when there's no evidence whatsoever. Is that frustrating? Where it's a new user and they're experimenting and they don't realise what they've done, I don't mind that at all. If it causes them to learn the correct way to do things, then that's fine. But where they're just coming in and being deliberately offensive or gratuitously so, then yes, that is frustrating. And, and you have to remember that everybody who's working on Wikipedia is a volunteer and you're burning up volunteer time and goodwill by doing things like that. It's a bit like going down to your local nature reserve and pulling up plants that volunteers have planted and they've got to be replanted. You know, it's, uh, it's just silly. Something's occurred to me. Andy lives in Birmingham in the UK. He explains that, for obvious reasons, Wikipedians from Lebanon weren't contributing to the page about the explosion until a lot later. Because they'd got other things to worry about. Once things had calmed down. So it was up to other editors to do it instead. 
but what's that about? Can some guy in Birmingham really do a good job of covering a breaking news event that's happening like 5,000 kilometers away? I don't think it's an issue. I don't think it's necessarily true that things should be written by people local. In theory, if you write Wikipedia articles properly, it shouldn't matter who wrote them because all you're doing is summarizing what other sources have said. I can summarise a a report about an explosion in Beirut as as well as I can about one half a mile down the road. And I should, in theory, do it in the same way as the person who's sitting half a mile from that explosion in Beirut would have done it. Right. That makes sense. And that brings us back to the whole relying on secondary sources maxim. Ideally, it keeps the whole machine chugging along, no matter who's writing it. I wonder what effect this has on Andy. He spends his spare time reading and writing about tragedies, and he's not getting paid for it. Must be hard. It may be sad to think about the people who'd been affected, but I'm of the disposition where I was able to manage that, and I, you know, when I finished editing, I'd go and sit down with a glass of wine or a whiskey or whatever I had and um, think about it then. But again, nobody's under an obligation. I mean, if you're a news reporter in a, a newspaper or television newsroom and your boss can say, go and write about X and do it by one o'clock, then you've got to go and do it or you've got to hand in your notice. But with a Wikipedia, it's right, just say, well, I've done enough of this. It's starting to get me down. I can go and write an article about, I don't know, how lovely fluffy kittens are or, uh, or I can go and do the garden or go for a walk or watch something mindless on television. You know, turn the computer off completely. Uh, and that's one of the joys of being a volunteer. You're, you're not beholden to anyone. Andy, thanks so much for speaking with me. Okay, thank you. Was there anything else you wanted to add? Oh, yes, there is one thing. We need to tell people that they can edit Wikipedia, and we encourage everybody to do so. So there you go, guys. That news story you read about this morning, why don't you just go and start the article about it? We're going to take a real quick break here, and after that, Anne's back, and things get pretty dark. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Hello, it's Tom here, part of the .com team. Eat stress-free this spring with Factors' delicious ready-to-eat meals. Always fresh, never frozen. Each meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. I'm a flexitarian, so with a weekly menu of 35 options, there's plenty for me to choose from. Last night, I had the Moroccan-style almond-crusted salmon, and it was delicious. If you want more than meals, there's over 60 add-ons like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and smoothies to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. And if you're looking for gourmet options, you can try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Customise your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. You can always pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. 
So what are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash thehacking50 and use code thehacking50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code thehacking50 at factormeals.com slash thehacking50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. This is .com. Welcome back. So we're talking about whether we can trust Wikipedia. Every single one of my instincts cries, how can a site that's being edited by so many people be legit? This shouldn't work. But here's the thing, it does. Here's everyone's favorite, Brian, the brother again. I'm not sure I can tell you why Wikipedia didn't fail as I originally thought it would. I've tried to figure it out over the years and I'd I'm really not sure what it is. I mean, it could be that human beings are just better people than I thought they were. Maybe the good people just vastly outnumber the bad people, which means that, for example, the vandals never seem to win. So it could just have to be, maybe I didn't understand it because I didn't really understand people as well as I I thought I did. I'm back with Anne, a.k.a. Risker. Your reputation is what you earn. You don't get to these positions without having done the work to get there. She's well-known in the community, really well-known. And I want to know how a retired woman in Canada deals with that big of a reputation. But it's not all plain sailing, Anne tells me. Having that much power and a big profile on the web, well, it comes with repercussions. Anne only linked her real name to her online identity seven or eight years ago. Before that, nobody knew that Risker was mid-50s Anne from Canada, And that was for one specific reason. At the time that I joined Wikipedia and created my account, there were some people who were really harassing uh, women editors at the time. And I thought, you know, being a woman on Wikipedia might be a little bit risky. So I decided on that username. uh, And I, I don't think that people expect to see a somewhat older than middle-aged lady, you know, with gray hair and when I'm out in public usually wearing glasses, looking like somebody's mom. So Anne tried to protect herself behind a name, Risker, someone who takes risks, who's brave, untouchable, manly. Hell, I fell for it. And so did everyone else, until one day the mirror shattered. In my early days as an administrator, somebody was trying to figure out who I was and actually wound up calling my elderly mother at home. She told me that she'd gotten a call from my old boyfriend that I'd gone, you know, been dating when I was in high school or college or something like that. They talked for a while and it was just so nice to talk to Tim and you know, he was asking where I was and was I married and who was my husband and how many kids did I have. And and quite honestly, my mom could not remember the answers to some of the questions. She knew that I was married, but she couldn't remember where I lived. She couldn't find the address book, thank goodness. And what she didn't know was that this boyfriend she thought I was talking to had actually died in a car accident several years before. So I knew that it couldn't possibly have been that person. She, my mom did not understand what was going on. Uh, she genuinely believed that she had had a conversation with my old boyfriend. I never told her what that was really about. 
This whole harassment thing is making me think about women. I've already heard how hard it is to get notable women on Wikipedia. For all of history, we've really just written about one pretty homogeneous group of people. But Anne's opened my eyes to a wider problem that goes beyond representation. It's how women are abused, online and offline. I'm thinking about something that happened earlier this year, in March 2021, a really horrific story about a young woman living in London. On the evening of the 3rd of March, 2021, Sarah Everard, a 33-year-old marketing executive, disappeared in South London as she was walking home from a friend's house. On the 10th of March, her remains were discovered in Woodland near Ashford and Kent. That's from the article Murder of Sarah Everard. Now, you might not have heard of this case if you don't keep an eye on British news, but if you were anywhere near the UK at the time, you'll know it. Sarah's name was everywhere. There was something about it, about her, a young, smart, attractive woman living in London, walking home alone from a friend's house, arranging to meet her boyfriend the next day. It touched a nerve. Now, I live in London, and there was definitely a spike in anxiety amongst my women friends about doing normal things like, I don't know, walking to the shop to buy a pint of milk after sundown. This must have been one of the trickiest articles to work on. I think, like it or not, Wikipedia is seen as a news source. It's certainly not meant to be. This is Matthew, a.k.a. Midi, like M-I-D-I. I spend far too much time on Wikipedia. He's been a Wikipedian for 15 years. I probably will not uh, admit for, for fear of my employer finding out how much time I spent on Wikipedia. Anyway, Matthew's giving me a behind-the-scenes tour of the article about Sarah. The article started as disappearance of Sarah Everard, then moved through death of Sarah Everard, and then murder. So the title of the article changed, which makes sense. The situation was changing rapidly, and the community had to reflect that. But there's one thing that's nagging. The guy who was eventually done for Sarah's murder was Wayne Cousins, a metropolitan police officer. That was one of the most shocking things about it. I remember being really confused, though, because there was a murky in-between period where we all knew his name, but he hadn't actually been convicted yet. Isn't that like the number one rule of media law? Journalists aren't supposed to publish the name of a suspect before they're convicted in case it unfairly sways the jury? I still don't really understand why, but it didn't take long for Cousin's name to be everywhere. Everybody knew his identity. P.C. Wayne Cousins' murderer. But he hadn't actually been proven guilty yet. So I'm wondering, how does Wikipedia deal with that? Should I, as a Wikipedian, publish that name or not? I have a personal view on that, which is I wouldn't be the person that adds that name to the article. There, there are some editors who have the same point of view, and there are some who have the point of view that if, if the name is out there, we, royal we, aren't doing our job. We are including some sort of bias by, by choosing not to include it. Matthew tells me something else I find really interesting. When it was breaking that Cousins had pleaded guilty, I don't know which edit, editor first updated the article with that news, but I came across it and it said, on 8th of June, Cousins plead guilty. So poor grammar, not the sound the actual news was that he pleaded guilty to kidnap and rape and he'd admitted responsibility for Everard's death. 
Um, the original editor that said he pleaded guilty implies for all charges, or at least that's what I infer. And so I updated the article to say, on 8th of June, Cousins pleaded guilty to kidnap and rape and admitted responsibility for her death. He did not enter a plea for the murder charge. Clearly, before that change was made, the article was incorrect. You can see the insane eye for detail these guys have and how careful they are to get it right. You can't be sloppy, especially in a case as high profile and important as this one. So there we go. Matthew and Andy, two pretty standard guys in the middle of England, meticulously covering totally tragic events. So there's an anthill of editors and they are always working, all the time. Take COVID. That has been the single most unexpected and enormous life-changing thing that's happened in the last, what, 70 years? And it's happened to all of us. Remember Sandister, the Wikimedian of the year? It's almost like yesterday, the feeling is still the same. I was excited. She's just one person working to document this thing on the page, COVID-19 pandemic in Ghana. Let me read you some of the pages out there. There's COVID-19 wiki project. There's COVID-19, COVID-19 pandemic, COVID-19 lockdown, COVID-19 vaccine in Malaysia, COVID-19 pandemic death. There are tons. I'm on the history of the article COVID-19 pandemic because I want to see when it was created. I'm looking at the history tab and someone's name jumps out at me. Sir Amantio de Nicolau, you remember. So I go by Sir Amantio de Nicolau. Stephen again, the world's number one Wikipedia editor with over four million edits. Of course he's on there. Anyway, I've scrolled to the bottom and clicked on oldest to see the first edits. It looks like the article was created on the 5th of January, 2020, under the title 2019 to 2020 China Pneumonia Outbreak. Okay, hmm, I wonder when it was renamed, when the community changed it to pandemic. So I'm looking, and eight weeks and tens of thousands of edits later, the World Health Organization makes an announcement. COVID is now officially a pandemic, and the Wikipedia community follows suit. This is so interesting. This history page I'm looking at is a literal blockchain of rapidly changing knowledge about COVID and also the misinformation. One editor reverts an edit because it gives the wrong stat about the number of deaths in Taiwan. And there's a discussion here about anti-Chinese nuance and some of the sources being used. The crazy thing is, this is happening all the time. I'm thinking about the major news stories from the last 10 years. We've got George Floyd, the US election, both times, COVID, lockdown, the Chilean miners, Brexit, protests in Hong Kong, the Uyghur genocide, Me Too, Donald Trump, the Taliban, those Australian bushfires and the ones in California, global warming, Prince Philip's death, Michael Jackson's death. They've all had a community of editors behind them, each and every one. Remember I told you that Wikipedia almost crashed when Michael Jackson died back in 2009 because there was so much traffic to his page? That's an interesting one. I wonder who wrote the article when he died. I heard something really interesting about Wikipedia and famous deaths from Dr. Jess Wade, the physicist. 
you know, when you see a celebrity has died, the speed at which a Wikipedia editor will go to Wikipedia to be the first one to change all the tense of the words that describe them, you know, to make sure it was or did, you know, it's just that the speed of the editing community is something that's really staggering. So I want to know more about that. I'm on the page Death of Michael Jackson, and I found the first edit. It was made by user Slim Virgin in late June 2009, a couple of days after he died. We write on our talk page to ask if she'd want to speak to us, but there's no answer. A few days later, though, my producer Anna gets a message. I noticed that you had recently posted a message to the talk page of user Slim Virgin. Unfortunately, Sarah, as we knew her, recently passed away, so will not be able to participate in any podcast. And the name at the bottom? Risker. I think it's it's very true that Sarah has had a very broad impact on English Wikipedia because she had influences on so many of our policies. It's a few days later and I'm back talking to Anne. I want to know about this Sarah person or Slim Virgin. Anybody who writes a biography needs to know the biography of living people policy, which was started by Sarah. You know, you would see her in, in the histories of different things. You would see her on articles that made the front page, you would see her in a lot of different places. If this was not a global community, we would all show up as a funeral home and express our condolences in person to the family. But that's not gonna happen with, with her colleague from Nigeria and her friend from Australia. So, Sarah was a really important person in the community, but nobody knew who she was. Sarah was always a very private person about her real life. She never published where she lived. A lot of people assume it was Canada. But Canada's a big place. Uh, it's like asking me if I know Joe from Saskatoon. Slim Virgin's talk page on Wikipedia is filled with thank yous. And here's what gets me. That legacy only exists online. Who knows what Sarah did in her real life? Who knows what her job was, if she had kids, what her voice sounded like. When I ask Anne how old she was? I really don't know. I would guess she was not roughly my age, but she could have been younger or older. But she did something on the internet under a fake name that actually changed things. A small ripple effect to begin with, maybe, but one that, over 15 years, became a wave. And that's what's amazing to me. I still feel that same thrill that I felt with that first edit, with knowing that when I clicked save, the entire world saw that fix. We have our bylines every time we make an edit. It's right there on the history page. Maybe it's a bit of an ego thing, but there's an awful lot of altruism in it. And it's, you know, I don't have to do anything too exciting to go and do my hobby and to do my volunteer share of the work. You know, I just have to walk into the living room and turn on my computer. And I'm there. Next time on .com. I really like being around wiki people. I'm starting to understand this tangled world, the Wikiverse, more and more every day. But there's 
one place I haven't been yet where all the wiki people come together. The beautiful, beautiful wiki people. So I'm going to the heart. It's like a big, exciting festival where you meet new people, people you've been interacting with on the wiki. Wikimania. There's something about us that we understand about each other in a way that I don't have that kind of relationship with anyone else on the planet. The nerdiest annual conference of them all. Dotcom is a Crowd Network original and is presented by me, Katie Puckrick. It's written and produced by Anna Stauffenberg and is edited by James Bradshaw and Charlie Frost. The music we use is from our partners, BMG Production Music. Before you go, I've got a dare for you. Go to any Wikipedia article and click on the first link. Okay, so you're through to a different article. Do the same again, the first link. Keep doing that again and again. And I bet you, I bet you, eventually you'll end up on the philosophy page. It's true. It works at least 70% of the time. Try it. Don't take my word for it. What does that say about mankind? Well, I don't think I want to know. It's too philosophical for me. If you want another crowd podcast to listen to, I recommend a superb one called We Didn't Start the Fire. It's a history podcast inspired by the lyrics of Billy Joel, who, and this might possibly surprise you, is the best gosh darn history teacher I've ever had in my live long life. We cover North Korea, Stalin, Einstein, Nixon, punk rock, Marilyn Monroe, Disneyland, and more, more, more. And we try and figure out why the world is like it is today using Billy's lyrics as our guide. Check it out. Search for We Didn't Start the Fire in your podcast app. And if you haven't subscribed to .com yet, why do it now? See you next week. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. at me whistling in a jaunty fashion. I wish I could whistle this well. Hello, my friend Tom and I... Hi guys, I'm Tom. Yeah, he's Tom. ...have this amazing history podcast. It's called We Didn't Start the Fire, and it's the only podcast started by Billy Joel. And Katie, without being boastful, it really is the most original, fascinating, and random way to learn the story of the 20th century. I think that's being boastful. We go from Maryland to the Mafia, from the Beatles to bombs. Yeah, it's politics, rock and roll, sport, television, the space race, and we're joined by some pretty incredible guests. I only wrote stuff that I wanted to hear. If it turned out to be a hit, it was pure dumb luck. With me, Katie Puckridge. And me, Tom Fornice. This is We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by me, Billy Joel. Search for We Didn't Start the Fire and subscribe now.